The Secrets of Star Trek is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Star Trek, episode number 52. Captain DeBridge, Spock here. Make it so. Surrender is not an option. Attention crew of the Enterprise, this is James Kirk. We are all explorers, driven to know what's over the horizon, what's beyond our own shores. We would have helped you get home if you had asked. That's who Starfleet is. Hi, I'm Dom Bettinelli, and you're listening to The Secrets of Star Trek, where we discuss the hidden layers and deeper meanings found in all of the Star Trek TV series, movies, and more. And today we're continuing our discussion of Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan. And joining me today are, on the panel are Father Corey Stika. Hi, Father Corey. How's it going, Dom? Very well. And Jimmy Aiken. Hi, Jimmy. Howdy, Dom. So in case uh, you, you forgot, it's the last time. Uh, if you have not yet listened to it, go back and listen to episode 51 before I listen to this to get the, the whole picture of our discussion of The Wrath of Khan. But uh, for those of you who were here, just to kind of set where we left off, we basically it was the end of Act 1. Uh, Kirk and the Enterprise had gotten the message from Regular One and Dr. Carol Marcus that someone was coming to take the, uh, the Genesis Project, and so Kirk was on his way there with the Enterprise to find out what's going on. And we have this uh, moment where, you know, en route, they encounter the Starship Reliant unexpectedly. And as the, the Reliant was not communicating with them, refuses to answer hails, and Kirk won't raise shields, even though Savak tells him that that's what regulations say. And even though Uhura had told Spock that the transmission that brought them here was jammed at the source. Right. And they get a text message from Reliant saying that they can't use their communication system due to uh, something wrong with their chambers coil. And Spock says it's not true. So then Kirk says, well, energize the shields, which is apparently separate from raise the shields. Mm. That must be like and turn then, on the shield systems, but without actually yeah, raising them. Get them ready. Sort of the equivalent of taking the safety off of a gun prior to firing it. Yeah. Right. And then also, Khan, I like I like yeah. Khan's line in this where, you know, Joaquin, his aide is saying, you know, should we talk to them? And he says, let them eat static. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. We're one big happy Starfleet. You know, we're, uh, and so uh, Khan orders the shields raised and then locks phasers. And that's what finally, they, finally Kirk gets the clue. Yeah. This, this is also the place in the movie where we get the line, Re revenge is a dish best served cold, <laughs> which, which Khan introduces as a Klingon proverb. And it's kind of interesting because it's not. Um, this is, this is another instance of giving like when they, in Star Trek six, where they, the Klingons are trying to take credit for Hamlet. Yeah. Right. Um, in the original Klingon. Yeah. Yeah. We know revenge, revenge is a dish best served cold is a phrase that originated earlier than 1846. And it's already been used in popular movies that preceded this one, including kind hearts and coronets and the Godfather. Right. In fact, we uh, we mentioned that in our discussion of The Godfather on uh, Secrets of Movies and TV Shows. Mm -hmm. And the thing, I don't think, I think Khan is kind of using it here in a sort of joking manner. Mm -hmm. I like uh, the Hamlet reference. Yep. Yeah, yeah. I don't think he's like seriously thinks it. Uh, but it, it indicates that Khan uh, has learned something about the 24th century or the 23rd century at this point. The 23rd century politics, Klingons. Mm -hmm. He certainly he had Marla MacGyver's the Enterprise mm -hmm. uh, crewman became his wife and uh, and and I think he in Space Seed he goes through the Enterprise's library computers at a rapid pace yeah. to mm -hmm. catch up so you could guess some of that. Also, Nick Myers just seems to like uh, doing things like this. If you look in um, again in Star Trek Six, he has not only you know Shakespeare is better when you read it in the original Klingon. He's yep. also got Spock saying, as one of my ancestors said, whenever you have eliminated the impossible, whatever remains, however improbable, must be the truth. Well, that's Sherlock Holmes, right? Yes. Who, is, who is one of Spock's literary ancestors. 
Right, literary, <laughs> not literal. <laughs> so uh, we, so the Reliant locks phasers, Razor Shields locks phasers, Kirk orders the, the shields up too late, and they blast the ship. And they, you have these really effective scenes of yeah. you know, uh, the engineering getting blasted, uh, these, this big blast door has to come down, and just things are going wrong, and all the cadets are running. Yeah, Scotty is wearing an oxygen mask. Um, which is nice because we've never seen that before. But here right. on a spaceship, you can have de- decompression. Having an o- oxygen mask is reasonable. We also, for the first time in Star Trek history, get to see physical damage on the ship mm-hmm. after Reliant on the outside of the ship. At right. the end of Reliant's attack, there's like this huge black scar on the secondary hull from where Reliant phasered it. Right. Uh, and and I like, like we mentioned before, they have these engineering uniforms. They're sort of radiation suits. Again, you get this idea that you know this is engineering. Something you know something is going on down here where they need this protection. And uh, and, and so the at the end of this bat, you know, this fight as uh, uh, Reliant sails off. Uh, well, so they've disabled the Enterprise and. Mm-hmm. Khan gives his uh, his ultimatum to Kirk, which is uh, turn over everything you know about the Genesis Project, which is a clue to Kirk and, and Spock that Khan doesn't yet have Genesis. Right. Uh, so he apparently got some part of it. Right. And Kirk realizes he knows something that Khan doesn't. Yeah, it, it's interesting in the scene leading up to this. So Reliant is attacked and and they get on the horn and Uhura says they want to discuss terms of our surrender. And Kirk is willing to do that. He's not just being heroic, stupid captain, you know, right. Never surrender, never retreat. He's willing to talk surrender. And then when he finds out it's Khan, it's this revelation to him. And he realizes this is all personal. It's because Khan hates me. Mm-hmm. And he says, well, okay, if you, if you want me, I'll beam over and you can do what you want with me, but right. you know, let the ship go. And Khan says, okay, I'll do that, but you got to give me Genesis. Mm-hmm. And that's the deal. And at this point, um, he, Kirk says, what's Genesis? And Khan is like, don't insult my intelligence by lying to me. And right. they start this game mm-hmm. where it's like, okay, guys, uh, okay, you know, we got to look it up on the computer. And Kirk and Spock and Savik are like turning – like Kirk in particular turns his back on the screen so that Khan can't lip read him yep. mm-hmm. and says, uh, get the prefix code. And, and what they're doing is they've got the password to apparently every Starfleet ship has the password to every other Starfleet ship that they need to control it remotely. The VNC <laughs> and, into the Reliance bridge. <laughs> yeah remote <Yes>. control it <laughs> and apparently this is like a fail safe in case you've got a rogue starship in a situation like this and so they they look up on the computer and find out that the prefix code is 16309 which is way too simple a password yeah exactly um but i give them their give them credit that they they even have this concept mm-hmm. um they're doing something creative and they take down reliance shields which also in this scene, Kirk has to use his glasses for the first time. He puts them on in <laughs> order to like read, yeah, <laughs> yeah, in order in order to read computer displays and stuff. He's got to wear the glasses, so it's him accepting on a visual level his middle age, um, and and so they they're able to counterattack and do significant damage to um, to the Reliant, and so you have a kind of parting of the ways with Reliant, and then for no reasons. Scotty shows up on the bridge in the elevator with the body or dying body of of Peter Preston instead of taking him directly to sick bay. So what is up with that? I think Scotty's in shock. I think right. I think that that's we're supposed to get the idea that he's in shock. Now obviously the dramatic purpose is to end this that yeah. scene with this this shocking moment and, and, and to, you know, really be this upsetting moment. Well, and again, it, it fits the idea that if, if he was his cousin or nephew or something like that, nephew. you know, some relation, mm-hmm. um, it really kind of fits that idea of, you know, it's one thing when it's just a, you know, random crew member dies. I mean, that's, that's, that's painful enough. But then when that right. random crew member is a family member makes it all mm-hmm. the worse. 
Right. Because we've been told that it's that it's a crew full of kids, Mm -hmm. you know, and and so I think that's the other part is we're we're supposed to realize that Kirk is, you know, going into battle carrying a a crew full of essentially kids and against, you know, Khan and his people. So you have this multiple points, but you're right. I mean, obviously, he should have just taken him right to sickbay. That would have been the best thing to do. And uh, he, he and that's where. They eventually get and where he dies with Kirk next to Scotty and, uh, you know, give the, the is the word given captain. The word is given, you know, and that sort of thing. So warp we, we speed instead of God speed. Yeah, yep. right. That is an interesting difference. Uh, so, uh, you know, Kirk is congratulated for knowing, you know, for, for, for pulling the prefix code trick out. And he's mad because I, I did nothing except get caught with my britches down. I must be getting senile. So the age thing has come mm-hmm. up again uh, in this. And so they, they get to Regula 1, the this science station, and... And it's empty. And it's it. Well, Kirk uh, and McCoy and Savick beam down. Mm-hmm. Not a giant party of security officers with phaser <laughs> rifles <Yeah>. and... <laughs> Nope, just, you know, we're just going to send the Admiral down. You know, he's okay. There's a, and, and the only reason Savik's going is because she, after she tried to warn them about, you got to go in with shields up if a ship is not in communication with you, and he ignored it. He tells her, okay, learn my lesson. You go on, right on quoting regulations. And she says, no flag officer is allowed to go into a dangerous zone without an armed escort. So that's <laughs> right. why she's there. Right. Um, as they're leaving, there's a great character moment where Spock says, Jim, be careful. And McCoy says, we will. <laughs> I, do like, I do like that with McCoy. Yeah, that was good. Uh, so at some point in this, they, uh, they, so Kirk beams down. The station field looks empty. We have a couple of jump scares. And then it's McCoy, which is interesting, who finds the dead bodies. Not, yeah, uh, they're not, strung up. Right. They'd been, uh, these scientists had been tortured, but not all of them are there. And they, they, they find... Both Terrell and uh, Chekhov mm-hmm. shoved into this case, and then Chekhov's telling him, "Oh yes, they tortured us. They put these things in us, but they we put held smoked, out. Put smoked meat in our bodies." Yep. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Pavel, you know, Chekhov and Terrell were left behind as uh, plants by Khan to kind of to to be the his eyes and ears uh, when Kirk showed up, and they they realized that the se- the second phase of Genesis was. A cavern inside a planet. They check out the transporter. They realize that they beam down into the planet, which is supposed to be a lifeless rock, and they beam down into this corridor where David Marcus attacks Kirk. And this is where we have the reveal that David is Kirk's son, which Kirk apparently knew at this point. He actually knew that David was his son, but had Carol had asked him to be absent from his life, Mm -hmm. to not be Mm -hmm. there, uh, because she was afraid he would follow in his footsteps. Uh, And there's a there's a great exploration of this in the book of the autobiography of james t kirk which uh-huh. we offer as a as an incentive if you become a patron of patreon at a particular yeah. giving level you guys say jimmy well so so david he didn't want him in his life because he's he wasn't a big boy scout and um <laughs> afraid he would follow in his footsteps so he joined the knights of ren is that how this worked <laughs> right. yeah <laughs> yes that's, that's that does seem familiar doesn't it uh so they're in this cavern. Um, we have uh, Terrell then reveals himself to be, you know, that Genesis is there. Terrell reveals himself to be under the control of Khan still. Mm-hmm. And and Khan says, shoot, uh, Admiral Kirk. Yeah, Khan's Terrell, listening to all this on the communicator. Right. And uh, and he, he he won't. Terrell holds it. Although at some point, uh, David tries to attack T- uh, Terrell and Savik tackles him. And but not for Terrell shooting at David actually shoots the other scientist who gets vaporized and it's like uh, David idiot mm. you just got your friend killed it's your fault yep. Mr Hothead and uh, but Terrell holds out and you know ends up turning the phaser on himself and shooting himself and then for some reason that causes Chekhov to Chekhov's little earworm to make him fall to the ground and have it come out and the babble fish that melody out of his head. Exactly. Right. Yes. The babble fish falls out of his ear. <laughs> I, I would assume this is because these things are telepathic. I mean, they're doing stuff with people's minds. And so maybe killing one of them when Terrell commits suicide, that causes the other to panic. 
and think I've got to get out of here or something. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm guessing, but uh, yeah, that's got to be something like that. So uh, Khan beams out Genesis, the the Genesis device, uh, yep. but then tells Kirk, "I'm leaving you there to to die." But before this point, actually, I should I should have mentioned this before this Buried point. Alive. <laughs> yeah. Buried alive, but Kirk communicates with Spock that. Um, you know, if you go buy the book, uh, Spock says, "You it, if the, days hours will become hours like become days. days, yeah." Yep. And so they have this really lame code where it's going to be two days for the auxiliary power and five days for you know whatever, and and it's really two hours and and whatnot. And so they're 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 stranded here. By now, Spock is taking the ship far away from the planet, so they they couldn't possibly find him. Um, it, it's. It's kind of a lame ruse, but <laughs> yeah, but <laughs> okay. it's fun. Yes. Also, after the after Khan is delighting in the fact he's leaving Kirk buried alive, that's where Kirk takes the communicator and screams Khan, and then we get this wide angle back to where we see the whole moon and it's echoing Khan. <laughs> yes, <laughs> and and a, and a thousand memes were born. Yeah, <laughs> and, and uh, so they're they're like, oh, so uh, got anything to eat while we're while we're sitting here waiting. And it's like, oh, that'll be in the Genesis cave. I thought this was the Genesis cave. Oh, this this is nothing. This took, you know, Starfleet Corps of Engineers 10 months to tunnel out. Here, I'll show you. And they go into this amazing cave of wonders. It's sort of like a yeah. Jules Verne-like cavern of life and, and whatnot in there, uh, which I wonder how long that lasted after that point, given David's use of proto-matter in the Genesis device. We may never know. We may never know. And uh, so and then we get Carol Marcus's line, can I cook or can I cook? So and then they, they hang out there. And this is where the uh, Kirk and Savick have this discussion about, uh, you know, his he's never faced a no win situation. You know, he's uh, you know, he's in this situation where it seems like a no win. And he says, I don't believe in it. And then he says that's when he contacts Spock and says, hey, are we ready? Yep, we're ready to go. And they beam him up like, uh, you know. See, I'm very clever. It's like he didn't learn his lesson from getting caught with his britches down uh, you know, a few scenes mm-hmm. ago where where he's he's overconfident once again. So and then so they they beam up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And Savik is to Mr. Spock like you lied. And he's I exaggerated. And <laughs> this is because they previously told us that Vulcans don't lie, which is, you know, that's like Mimbari don't lie. No, they lie. Yes. Um, and apparently this was a huge thing when Star Trek Enterprise uh, came on because they showed early on, they showed for plot reasons, a Vulcan lying. And they got this incredible, I mean, people were leaving, filled up their voicemail over the weekend <laughs> with just, Vulcans don't lie. And it's yeah. like, yeah, they do. Remember that really famous movie you like so much? <laughs> yes, um, right. Yeah, they kind of do lie. Oh, but 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 this isn't lying. This is speaking in code. That's completely different. <laughs> he told the truth, just using different right. words. Uh, nah, nah, nah. <laughs> and so, just before this, um, we had Kirk explaining to Salvak how he beat the no-win situation. David calls about you cheated. You reprogrammed the simulation, and Kirk says, "I changed the conditions of the test." Yeah, you cheated. So Vulcans yep. lie, yeah. Kirk cheats. <laughs> That's clearly what, what's going on here. Uh, and then Kirk reminds Savick when they beam back aboard, speaking of regulations, if you're going to quote regulations at me, regulation 46A, you cannot, uh, you know, don't, don't, was it uh, on an unsecured channel? transmission, yeah. Right, right. So uh, they they get back aboard. And so they, when Khan, he's got his reliance back in order, he comes accelerating around the planet to, to find, because he hopes to find Enterprise at his mercy, and Enterprise isn't there. And then Enterprise comes out of nowhere, and, uh, well, no, it couldn't, it actually didn't shoot at this point. They're running for the Mutara Nebula, where they hope to, to evade him in the, in the fog. Yeah, and there's an interesting shot where we see the moon, where the Genesis cave is, and the Enterprise is on one side of it, and the Reliant is on the other side of it, and they're like chasing each other, circling around the moon. Mm-hmm. And you have this interesting cut across the moon to reveal that. But because they don't have warp drive, they can't get out of here. And so that's why they go into the nebula to even the playing field tactically. And Kirk taunts Khan into doing right. that. 
um, knowing he's he's got this obsession with him. So it's like Moby Dick waving his tail at Ahab and mm-hmm. saying, come and get me. Right, because Khan thinks Kirk is buried buried alive yeah. on regular one. <laughs> and Kirk's a, we tried it once your way, Khan. How are you game for a rematch? Khan, keep I'm missing laughing. the target. <laughs> yeah, he's like, I'm <laughs> laughing at the superior intellect. And then Khan freaks out. Rah! And he's like, I'll say this for him. He's consistent. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and, and so they, they go back into the nebula. And uh, so they their sensors are, won't work. They Their shields doesn't don't work. One of the interesting things about this movie is it's the it's it's the first time in, in Star Trek the Motion Picture they never used phasers, and mm-hmm. in this movie mm-hmm. they use phasers extensively. So it's kind of interesting that it's like in the, in the in the other one it was all torpedoes, but they use the phasers quite a lot in this. And and Relight has these wonderful mega phaser things that they have on these pylons that they used to shoot. And so we have a lot of this. It's again I, I mentioned it last time. You get this feel of. Old sailing ship sea yes. battles, They're sailing across each other in the fog, shooting each other, sometimes missing, sometimes not. Um, and we have uh, this one great moment where the, uh, the 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 ships are head on to each other somehow in the fog mm-hmm. in, the, mm-hmm. in this nebula. They somehow end up head on to each other and have to veer apart at the last second, uh, and and uh, they each shoot at each other, inflicting key damage. So it's just really a, a really awesome sequence of this battle. Uh, I really enjoy this. Well, I, I love that 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 final scene where you know they they've crossed over each other on you know on the Z axis, and then Enterprise just kind of rises like it's rising rises out of up. the yeah. sea behind the like jaws. Yeah, and that great James Horner music, you know, uh, the 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 swelling crescendo of that. Uh, Spock had said to Kirk, he's showing evidence of two dimensional thinking, uh, yep. mm-hmm. although. If you are from the 20th century, you know about air combat. You know what yeah. I mean? Even in air combat, there's three-dimensional thinking. So, Oh, yeah. But I, I think, though, it's, it's different, though, because even with that, there's not quite the same sense as there could be in space. Where right. you've That's got true. a full, you know, three dimensions to deal with. Yeah, apparently Khan never went to battle school as a kid and got to fight in the battle room. Mm. Right, right. Like, uh, like Ender did. And so. <laughs> Uh, which actually would be an interesting uh, if you want to do some uh, mashup fan fiction of Ender's Game with Star Trek. That would be interesting. Yeah, uh, the, the, so, new sing, the, the new the uh, new Indian uh, recruit, Kanunian uh, Singh in Battle School. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's it. That'd be fun. So uh, the, the Enterprise comes up behind them and blasts them with the torpedo and phaser blasts. They blow off the port nacelle and and the 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 ship is crippled and. Most of Khan's people are killed in, the, in this, and Khan and is his, all burned and maimed. His and face melts. It's like he got a, a half of a look at the Ark of the Covenant with one side of his face. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and uh, and so, and it, it is you know last bit to to, to kind of to, to get Kirk. No, Kirk, the game is not over. You know, he he activates the, the Genesis device which would presumably encompass the Enterprise and its blast. Mm-hmm. And so, the, but the Enterprise, the mains are offline. The warp drive is inoperable. And so she can't escape under auxiliary power with just thrusters. And so uh, Scotty, the Kirk calls Scotty, he does the, Scotty, I need warp speed in three minutes or we're all dead, which always worked in the past. In the original yep. series, That Scotty was always able to do it. But in this case, uh, he relied on the miracle worker too much. Scotty had collapsed from, you know, whatever di- uh, injuries he had. And Spock leaves the bridge, you know, quietly, unknown to everyone else. And uh, he goes down and uh, he goes into this radiation-filled room. So apparently there's a room that fills radiation during battle, which seems like a bad idea if <laughs> there's stuff in there that needs to be fixed. It, it's a reactor room, and it doesn't yeah. fill with radiation really until – I mean, it's I guess Something there's some wrong. radiation there, but he's right. got to take the thing – he's got to take the lid off of the equivalent of you know the reactor rods yep. to move, right. them, move them around or get the control rods in the right place or something like that. Right, and so he floods himself. And he's getting like a face full of radiation. I'm looking, I'm looking at it going, oh, that's – that's, that's not gonna good. Hurt. That is not good. That's gonna it's gonna leave a mark. And uh, you know, before going in, we have this like uh, Spock. You know, McCoy stops Spock. He says, "Don't go in there. You'll you'll be you'll get killed." And Spock kind of stops a moment and thinks, 
and says, you're, you're right. And, you know, what about Mr. Scott? Oh, well, Scotty. And then he nerve pinches him and does the mind meld and says, remember. Yeah. And p- passes the kacha on. Uh, you're it. And uh, <laughs> But doesn't provide does, any context for that. Yeah. He does nope. his back blaze back up into his head. And uh, yes, we don't have any mm-hmm. context. Uh, so we, 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 the fans are left after this movie wondering, what does this all mean? Why exactly. is it? Also notice by triggering the Genesis device, even though it's got to warm up before it goes off, Khan is committing suicide in order to get Kirk. That's yeah, right. how obsessed he is. So he's Ahab. Right. And, and in fact, on the Reliance Bridge, he quotes Moby Dick. No, you can't get away from hell's heart. I stab at thee. For hate's sake, I spit my last breath at thee. I mean, if that ain't spite, yeah, exactly. <laughs> that is uh, such. I mean, oh, this death scene by Khan is just so great. The monobot is awesome. If I'm gonna and, die, uh, I'm gonna take you with me. You know, right? And so they they get at the le- very last second. Of course, they get their warp power, and uh, Spock. I mean, uh, Kirk credits Scotty, and they they jump away just as it explodes. And even as you know, Kirk is is sort of exulting in his victory. He gets the call from McCoy to come down to engineering, and that's when he looks at Spock's seat and sees it empty and somehow knows what happened. And just before this, we get this really, as they're escaping, we get this really great shot, even I mean, given the special effects of the time, this really great shot of the Enterprise escaping from the Genesis wave yeah. that like crystallize or congeals the nebula in concentric shells, and the Enterprise yeah. is just zooming right past in front of the wave front yep. to right. get out of the way of this thing. And we have this, uh, this awesome animation of the Genesis planet forming at different points. Like, it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's still mm-hmm. molten. And, yeah, it's really amazing uh, work there on, the, on their part uh, for the time. And so uh, we have Kirk rushes down to engineering, and he's going to go into this room where Spock is. And they have to physically restrain him to hold him back from, the, you know, from opening the door and killing everybody, flooding the compartment with radiation. And uh, and we so we have this poignant scene of you know Spock who's now blinded apparently yeah he bumps into the he's into the it's at least visually impaired and he bumps mm-hmm. yeah. into the glass and he's got like his skin is sl- sloughing off his face and it's all it, you can see the green texture as it you know because of his green blood as it's coming off and stuff and it's and it's really really sad when he first when Kirk first shows up at the reaction chamber. Uh, or the reactor chamber, Spock is in there and he's like slumped down on the ground. And when Kirk calls to him, he starts to get up, but it's really difficult for him to get to his feet and he has to brace himself against a wall. And then when he finally gets upright, he like straightens his tunic. Yeah. And then to make himself presentable for duty. And then he walks over towards where he sees Kirk is, but his vision has deteriorated so much at this point, he he can't see clearly and he just bumps into the glass. Right. I mean, it's that that dignity that he has to him. You know, he's going to go out with dignity. Mm-hmm. And he says to him, you know, don't grieve, Admiral. It's logical. The needs of the many outweigh the needs uh, in which Kirk replies, the needs of the few. And Spock says, or the one. You know, yeah. so we have that line coming back. And then Spock, this is where Spock says he never took the Kobayashi Maru simulation until now. What do you think of my solution? And Kirk can't reply because you know, it yeah. is a no-win situation. He sacrifices himself. This is a, there's a you know I don't want to get overly you know imbuing this but this is a very christological moment this mm-hmm. is a sacrifice self sacrifice for the sake of others yeah absolutely like Jesus going to the cross Spock goes to the reaction the reactor chamber knowing he's going to kill he's going to end up dying as a result mm-hmm. in order to save everyone else right it's not suicide it's sacrifice i mean there's a there's mm-hmm. a difference between those things and in, in the the side effect is, is is that he's you know that he's dying, but he's really pr- trying to preserve life. Uh, was this a logical decision or was it an emotional decision? Do you think uh, was, was was there a bit of a m- emotion in this? I, I have to save others, so I sacrifice myself. Um, I I mean Vulcans have emotion. It's just they yeah. try to they try to deal with their emotions logically, and so you know if they didn't have emotions, they wouldn't get out of bed. They just lay mm-hmm. there and starve to death, <laughs> right? Um. So, so yeah, this is a logical response. There is emotion driving what he's doing because he values the lives of everybody on the ship. 
Yes. Um, and this is a logical way of achieving the goal of saving everyone else on the ship. Yeah, I, I feel like at this point with Spock is he's because he's as integrated between human and Vulcan as, as he's ever yeah. been. Yeah. He's got a, the balance there within himself. Uh, he's not at war with his human side like he has been in the past. Uh, and and so I think I think that's what this really kind of felt like to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we we have this oh, line, and, and that gets cashed out with when he tells Kirk, "I am and always will will be your friend." Yep. Yes, that's uh, the real balance. That's his human side coming out in his dying moments. Right. This is uh, the. Well, I don't want to. I don't want to do any spoilers for Discovery. So, but this is a payoff of something that might happen in Discovery at one point in the second season. Uh, in a, in a, not, my, not, not in a direct way. This. Yeah, yeah, not it, directly, but it, not directly. The, the conflict between Spock's human and Vulcan sides is something that, and the balance between them is a theme that's explored in Star Trek Discovery season two. And here we find him getting to that place of balance. Yes, mm-hmm. yes, and and in his friendship with Kirk, that he can acknowledge his friend, which is which is good. And uh, they gives the Vulcan salute against the the uh, the glass, and Kirk responds, you know, to it, and that's when Spock dies. And I find it, you know, interesting that Spock, even as Spock dies, a new world is being born. It's sort mm-hmm. of a a world is being born out of his sacrifice. And then in the next movie, as Spock returns to life, spoilers. Uh, the, the movie is called The Search for Spock. <laughs> As Spock returns to life, that that planet dies. I mean, there's almost a, a, a symbiosis in and, it. And not just that planet. They undo everything they did in this movie. Right. I they mean, don't say... Yes, the, just, we don't save the Enterprise, we don't save David, and we don't save the Genesis planet. All that gets <laughs> undone. Yeah, that's true. That is true. Uh, so uh, from there, we go to uh, Spock's funeral, which uh, is... I, I know I overuse the term iconic, but it is it is entered into pop culture in, in several different ways. Uh, I like Kirk's eulogy, which is, mm-hmm. he says, It should be noted in the midst of our sorrow, this death takes place in the shadow of new life, the sunrise of, of a new world, a world that our beloved comrade gave his life to protect and nourish. <laughs> in what way did Spock give his life to protect this new world? Or is it a figurative? <laughs> well, or is it a figurative new world? A mm-hmm. new world of mm. of the uh, of the training crew of these people that he's saving. You know the the young people. Yeah, yeah. they're talking about the Genesis <laughs> planet, and it just doesn't work. It's yep. just right. rhetoric. Yeah. Well, then Kirk says this other line, which really carries uh, carries on. Of all the souls I've encountered in my travels, his. Was the most, and then he has this catch to throat. Shatner does a good job here. Human, you know, he kind of gets mm-hmm. out that Swax's soul was the most human. And so, you, they, we cut to Savik, and she's got a tear coming down her face, and it's very affecting this moment. I, I find it, it, it that line a little risky, you know, mm-hmm. to say that right. Spock is the most human of everybody, because given everything we've seen of Spock, he wouldn't have considered that a compliment. <laughs> Yeah, yes and no. But I think that's I think that's the been kind of the the, the idea the thing that they've been developing with this relationship with Spock and Kirk and, and McCoy is that Spock is Vulcan and human and that human isn't a dirty word. You know, human right. mm-hmm. there's there's a good thing about being human. Yeah, I, I also think it just on what basis is he the most human person that you've met? Really? Well, for for Kirk, yeah, I mean, a human in embodying all the great human qualities. Hmm. I don't know. I kind of wonder. It's because I, when I think the most human person, is so like compassionate, a caring, vulnerable. You know, I'm yeah. and I'm sure those things are all in there in Spock, but him being the most of those things, self-sacrificial. I mean, his sacrifice of himself. For others, yeah, but that's maybe the most human thing. Just like you say, <laughs> people of other species can't sacrifice themselves. Um, I think maybe in a metaphysical Christ, Christ was born human. Mm. I, I know that's certainly not what yeah. the writers intended with that. I, but, I think uh, this is just more nice-sounding rhetoric that yep. doesn't really hold up if you think about it. Sure, sure. And then we have this amazing moment as Scotty plays "Amazing Grace" on the bagpipes, and yeah. 
And Amazing Grace on bagpipes is never the same for anyone ever again. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> At least for it, me. It, it, it is a, a, I mean, I've listened to a lot of bagpipe music, music and Amazing Grace is a classic bagpipe tune. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. it, if you may not know that if you don't listen to bagpipe music, but it is, I mean, it's very commonly done. And, um, and there's this moment where, so Scotty's playing amazing grace and they fire the torpedo. They're burying Spock at space. Mm-hmm. Yep. You know, this is, this is what you do on a ship in the Horatio Hornblower days or master yep. commander yep. days. Someone dies on a ship. You don't take their body back. You, you put them in a body bag and you dump them over the side and bury them at sea. And that's right. essentially what they're doing to Spock here. Um, the um, and so you have this moment where Scotty's playing Amazing Grace, which is very moving and effective on its own. And then as we follow the coffin into outer space, we get this outer space shot, and um, the tune of Amazing Grace is taken over by a full orchestra. Mm-hmm. And it just right. brings it to a whole new emotional level and is a really powerful and moving moment. Right. It, 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 it's, I remember it being, I mean, now I've seen it so many times, so it doesn't have yeah. the emotional weight it has it had then. But I remember how emotional this moment was for me watching this as a kid. Spock is dead. Spock, this character that I knew, that I yep. loved, uh, you know, who knows if he's coming back. For me at that moment, he was dead. And this music, swells this music carries me amazing grace has this resonance has this ability so the the reason why it's such a beloved hymn there's Mm -hmm. something to it and i think it's a it's let's say amazing it's it's amazing to have a song as explicitly christian as amazing grace as part of this Mm -hmm. this scene uh, that this recognition of amazing amazing grace it's it's not just it's a it's a great tune but the, the the words themselves carry a resonance about life and death and mm-hmm. eternity mm-hmm. and redemption. There is an interesting line. One of the lyrics of Amazing Grace, is, uh, the original lyrics of Amazing Grace, was is talking about the eternity of heaven. And it's, it, it says, um, when we've been there 10,000 years, we've no less days than when we'd first begun. Mm-hmm. But given the numeracy and increasing scientific sophistication of our culture, 10,000 doesn't sound like a big number anymore. And so there are congregations that have updated that to 10 billion years. And, um, and which I'm fine with, you know, that's, it it makes the same point. I mean, 10,000 years sounded like a long time to Mm -hmm. people in the, you know, 1700s. But um, but ten billion sounds more, and I just kind of wonder what's it going to be in the in the twenty third century. It's like ten <laughs> septillion years, <laughs> right. right? Ten quantum years. Who knows? Yes, exactly. Well, it, it's interesting though with this whole scene because you know as we we discussed when we were talking about discovery about how people reacted to how they were portraying this beloved character Spock, and of course this movie came out long before that and killed off this character. But it, that, mm-hmm. that's why it does make sense that they they did add in that scene with the 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 remember the Katra transfer and the 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 seeing the you know, here at the end you'll see the the casket on the the planet surface and all that you know that there was an uproar even then you know and and it was the character obviously had been developed and beloved from the original series but even more so since then to understand why there was yeah. the uproar with Discovery now. They they also um, they also ended up they made a bunch of different hints right at the end of the movie that this isn't over. One of them is in the in some voiceover narration. Kirk says, "If Genesis really is life from death, then I'm going to have to come back here." Right. And so that's an obvious big hint. And they added the casket uh, on the planet, which is portrayed very paradisically. They mm-hmm. filmed it in like a botanical garden outside Los Angeles sure. or in Los Angeles. Um, but it just looks like it's this lush jungle. You've got all this life there. And um, I remember when this movie first came out, this was pre-home release, pre-home video. Mm-hmm. And everyone was like, the coffin started to open. <laughs> oh, and, and it's like, did it? And, and, and you watch it and it's like, no, the coffin does not open. But people were picking up on it and so anticipating the sequel 
that they <laughs> mentally remembered it as the coffin started starting to open. It's a bit of the Mandela effect yep. uh, going on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. So yeah, Kirk has that 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 captain's log at the very end, which probably was uh, added in or, or changed along mm-hmm. with the pickups for the the coffin on the planet. He he has this resolution with with David Marcus. David comes to Kirk's quarters, and we have uh, Kirk's trying to read the Tale of Two Cities, the book that that Spock gave him, and has to take out his glasses, and they broke in the battle. It's sort of like the last final indignity. Ah. And he just tosses them onto the desk <laughs> and tries to read it at arm's length, which I know how that feels. Your arms aren't long enough. And uh, they have this reconciliation between David and Kirk, which was which was nice. And even this, like, Kirk kind of gives him this. He's, he tells Kirk, I'm proud to be your son. And they get this, like, awkward hug at first, but then it yeah. sort of becomes genuine. And, and before that, he's talking to Kirk, and Kirk is really down. Um, and David is the one who's trying to perk him up. And he says, you know, remember you, you told Savik how you face death is as important as how you face life. And he's like, that was just words. And David's like, but they're good words and you need to take them to heart now. In a, in essence. Right. And good ideas come from good words. You know, mm-hmm. that's sort of that idea. Yeah. And later on the bridge, uh, you know, after they're looking at the Genesis planet, you know, there's this Carol and, and Kirk and McCoy. And I think it's a uh, McCoy, McCoy asked him, "How do yeah. you feel?" Right, and he says, Kirk "Young." Is, Kirk has yeah. gone silent, looking at the Genesis planet on the view screen. Yeah, and he says, "I feel young." Why yeah. does he feel young there? Because he's witnessing new life. Um, okay, he's and that makes him feel young. He's he's it, it, Genesis has had that effect on him. He's also just reconnected with his son. Um, right. And with one of his former loves. And so all of that and all of that emotion, that's what's making him feel young. It's not fully realistic in that he's also grieving. Right. But it's a moment of hope and a feeling of youth in the midst of that. Yeah. It's also necessary to get the film not to have a downer ending like the test screening audiences hated. <laughs> right. um, and by making a few of these changes, they really did for the audience create a positive ending out of this where people couldn't wait to see what happened next. How are they going to get Spock back? And right. it made this one of the most popular, if not, or even the most popular Star Trek movie uh, in terms of its critical reaction, hmm. which then <laughs> yep. had some unfortunate effects because after this movie, the Star Trek movie franchise it, in its reborn versions, uh, they didn't do this in the rest of the original cast series. Mm-hmm. But um, in in the next gen movies and the J.J. Abrams movies, they're fixated on this model of Khan, where you've yeah, got right. to have the single big bad nemesis villain that you can put against the captain. Mm-hmm. And they're constantly trying to reinvent Khan. In fact, in they one, bring they literally bring Khan back into, into yeah, darkness. Yeah. They basically yeah. retell the story. And it's nowhere near as good. And that's one of the problems with the later Star Trek movies is they're too fixated on Wrath of Khan. It's like, oh, that was the best. So we got to do that exact same thing again. But you think about it. No, what were the other good ones from the original series? Four? Who's the big bad villain in that? Right. The search for whales has no villain. It's all a misunderstanding. Right. And it's the space probe that's unthinking. Yeah. yeah, It's it's just a fun adventure. In six, where the Berlin Wall comes down in space. Um, <laughs> it's Who's the villain there? It's not a single person. It's people on both sides. Yep. Right. And, and It's a but, complex, yeah. Yeah, but because Khan was, had such critical praise, it's like, oh, we got to do Khan again. When there are so many other right. storytelling possibilities in this in this franchise. Well, and it's, it's not just, it's not just, let's do Khan again. It's let's do Khan, but bigger and now that we right. have con bigger let's do con bigger bigger and bigger 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 you know they kept having to mm-hmm. ramp it up just like star wars does with you know bigger and bigger super weapons a bigger death star and then an even bigger death star yeah moon, moon so wasn't so big enough so now we got to have a whole planet <laughs> right jj uh, abrams that we're talking about you uh, <laughs> and lots of lens flares <laughs> yes lots of lens flares and then they put this line into mccoy's mouth which again is that gives us that hope for the future 
Uh, he's not really dead as long as we remember him, and and that's oh, sort of that cheesy, whole cheesy, cheesy line <laughs> to me. To me, it's cheesy right. line. But it comes back to that when when the mind meld in Spock says "remember," so that sort of sets that oh, stage okay. for that. Uh-huh. Um, and then we end with the Enterprise's original mission statement: you know, space the final frontier. Except this time, it's not Kirk; it's Spock. It's the first yeah. time we've got someone other than Kirk, you know, giving those lines for us and. We get this uh, uh, phrase, you know, her ongoing mission instead of her five-year mission, but strange mm-hmm. new worlds, new life forms, new civilizations, to boldly go where no man has gone before. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I love the Nimoy way and, of doing that. And the way they, the visual at this moment, as Spock is reading the mission statement, we're, we're panning away from the Genesis planet, and the stars are tilting in this unusual direction that, Goes on a little too long, in my opinion. It, it's yeah. almost a little nauseating watching the stars tilt in that way. But eventually they settle, and then as he gets to the point of where no man has gone before, we start to gently push forward through the stars, and it has this sense of voyaging. And yep. then the st- mm-hmm. we push past the stars into the blackness of the credits, and the music <laughs> right. fanfare comes up, and it's really great. Yeah, uh, very and classic, uh, you know, older movie credits uh, at this time. So yes, so uh, so that's the the movie. Any other uh, notes that we didn't cover as going through this? Anything we left on the cutting room floor? Well, one thing I get a kick out of was uh, in the simulator, and it did get removed for the actual Enterprise bridge. But it there apparently they do smoke in the twenty third century because it said no smoking <laughs> oh, on <yeah>. the bridge. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right, <laughs> right. Um, um, yes. I liked so I like the way it, it's hard to look at this movie with first time viewer eyes because mm-hmm. you know it's so popular we've seen it so many times but they actually ramp up Genesis in an interesting way because for most of the movie we do not know what Genesis is yeah. and um but they 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 start building it up early on when we first hear about it David is talking to Carol and he says, you know, when this works, you're going to be remembered like Newton, Einstein, and Surak. Yeah. And so that's like, okay, this is, wow, this is something huge um, if it's Newton, Einstein, and Surak. Um, I like with uh, Kirstie Alley as Savick, uh, there's a neat scene where she's talking to Kirk in the elevator, and he <laughs> cracks a joke, and she doesn't quite understand it. And she says, humor. It is a difficult concept. It is not logical. <laughs> and, and, and Kirk's response is, we learn by doing. So he's like telling her to start cracking some jokes. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, lighten up, Savik. <laughs> yeah. Also, I find it interesting that uh, she's referred to as Mr. Savik. And mm-hmm. they come back to this in Voyager because they didn't want to have Captain Janeway referred to as Mr. through the whole thing. So in like the first episode or so, they have an explicit, you can call me ma'am instead right. of right. sir. Um, but my question is, I believe, and I, and I want to ask you what the truth is, Father Corey, because um, you were in the military. Mm-hmm. How is this issue handled in today's military? Well, in the Air Force, you know, women are referred to as ma'am and Men are referred to as sir, and in fact, that's that's that invariably comes up during basic training uh, when mm-hmm. you'll have a female training instructor and a recruit nervous. You know, it's like that first night where you're getting basically run through the mill because they want to, you know, put the fear of God in you. Will invariably call a female training officer sir, and of course, the line is, "Do I look like a man to you?" No, <laughs> you know, okay. I mean that, and now I, as I understand it. It is naval tradition, though. The way they do it in the movie mm-hmm. is yeah. naval tradition. Yeah. I don't know if that's still the case now or not. I will, obviously I wasn't Navy. I was Air Force. Mm-hmm. Okay. I would love to hear from a listener. Any listeners who are you know in the Navy or been in the Navy and are familiar with female officers? To to to, to, to are they referred to as you know Miss or Mister? I think it's I think it's Miss. Yeah, it might but I'm be not sure. Miss now or Miss or something like that. Yeah, yeah. But um, yeah, that's interesting. Also, I wanted to mention in the uh, in the Genesis Kickstarter campaign, mm-hmm. um, the justification for it is uh, that Carol cites is the cosmic problems of population and food supply. And it's like okay, <laughs> that is that is so 1970s, you yep. know, uh, leading right. into the 80s that the population and food supply guys, you got warp drive. Well, <laughs> this is, so 
Thanos had a competing uh, Kickstarter where it was all if I use the Infinity Stones, I'll snap my fingers yeah. and kill half the people in the, well, that, in the universe. <laughs> not just do, not just do they have warp drive; they've got replicators. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, also, in this same sequence, we get this spat between McCoy and Spock about the Genesis device. And uh, McCoy is like, well, according to myth, Earth was created in six days. Yeah. And it's like, eh, OK, but then you have to call it myth. Um, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you could just just said according to the Bible. And yep. that's a neutral way of saying it. Right. Um, but now we're talking about universal Armageddon. And it's like, OK, you just. Gave with your right hand what you took away with your left? <laughs> yeah. And we just went from Genesis to Revelation? Sure. Right, right. One's a myth, one is uh, not, or something. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But that's all I had. Very good. All right. So that's it from us, I guess. Uh, we'll, let's take a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to do things like talk about Star Trek The Wrath of Khan in depth over two episodes. Uh, we'll, we want to thank uh, Susan S., Sandra C., Donna K., Kathy D., and Mark L. Their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue The Secrets of Star Trek and all the shows at StarQuest. If you want to join them and all of our patrons, go to sqpn.com slash give. So what do you think of our discussion of Star Trek to the Rathacon? Is this your favorite of the Star Trek movies? If it or if it's not, I'd love to hear your what, what is your favorite and what makes it better than this. Let us know by going to sqpn.com/trek or the SQPN Facebook page. Leave us some feedback or send an email to trek at sqpn.com. Uh, before we go, I do have a little bit of feedback. I want to read uh, an email that we got uh, from a listener, Pastor Casey Taylor, who says, uh, "Protestant pastor here who found secrets of Star Trek." Overall, I really enjoyed the podcast. I listened to all the Discovery episodes, and now I'm listening to older episodes on YouTube. Uh, since you asked, I wouldn't say I love Enterprise, but I re- probably do enjoy it more than many other fans. And yes, season four is the best with a lame finale. And mm-hmm. I also think the animated series is way underrated. Well, welcome, Pastor Casey Taylor, to Secrets of Star Trek. I just wanted to yes. make sure we mentioned that before we finish. So uh, we'll be back next time when we'll be discussing the original series episode, The Corbomite Maneuver. Uh, we will have uh, scary-looking baby aliens uh, giving us uh, ultimatums. But until then, Jimmy Aiken, thank you for joining me and sharing the secrets of Star Trek. Thank you, Dom. Break out the Tranya and live long and prosper. <laughs> and Father Cory Stika, thank you as well. Thank you, Dom, and boldly go. And once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to the secrets of Star Trek on StarQuest. And remember, it is a far, far better thing I do than I have ever done before a far better resting place I go to than I have ever known. What the dickens?